And, and the opinions were scathing. This was from Justice Kavanaugh. Nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing to not pay their workers a fair market rate on their theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. The NCAA is not above the law. Today is the most significant day in the history of the NCAA, and that is not an understatement, Fitz. Oh, many current athletes started signing deals almost immediately. I'm only going to go to the speech that's going to be on television. I think it's going to really hurt competitive balance. Congrats to the uh, college athletes, yeah. and the high school athletes, yeah. and the middle school athletes. Yeah. And those elementary kids are good. Congrats. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I seen six year olds. You know, T.Y. Hilton's kid would have been getting a Nike sponsorship probably when he was eight or nine. A football team generates a lot of cash that the student athletes ought to share in that uh, in some way or another, that they ought to be paid employees. And, and I recognize that that's a perfectly legitimate argument that some make, someone might make. I just can't imagine why a university would want to do that. Wow, that last statement by Mark Emmert is from a 2014 interview with Seth Davis where they discussed the Ed O'Bannon lawsuit versus the NCAA. Uh, this antitrust lawsuit eventually evolved into a class action suit uh, where the plaintiffs alleged that the NCAA's rules uh, were unreasonable or an unreasonable restraint of trade because they preclude FBS football players and Division I men's basketball players from receiving any compensation beyond the value of their athletic scholarships for the use of their name, image, and likeness in video games, live telecast, rebroadcast, and archive video. Ultimately, the judge found the NCAA violated antitrust laws and the plaintiffs accepted a $40 million settlement. The Ed O'Bannon case would lead to the most recent case, the NCAA versus Alston, where the Supreme Court ultimately ruled against the NCAA in yet another antitrust lawsuit over student-athlete compensation. This case would be the final nail in the coffin that would lead to the July 1st decision by the NCAA to allow the student athletes to profit using their name, image, and likeness. Okay, so before we go any further, I want to go ahead and introduce myself. I am Brandon Lundberg, Senior Analyst with Football Scout 365, and today's show is about name, image, and likeness. It will probably kick off a series of two or three more shows by the end of the summer covering name, image, and likeness-related topics. In this particular episode, I will discuss my theory on the future of FBS level football um, after some remarks that were made by Mark Emmert last week regarding the NCAA relinquishing power. So after I discuss my theory, I'll lead us into a panel discussion with Five Tool Sports podcast analyst Nate Parker and CJ McLaughlin. Okay, so let's talk about the statements made by NCAA President Mark Emmert last week. In a 30-minute interview with a small group of reporters, Mark Emmert stressed he was not going to put forth any mandates or even provide a recommendation. He laid out a vision for the future of college sports that puts fewer limitations on athletes and that would de-emphasize the role of the NCAA as a governing body to collegiate athletics. Emmert went on to say, quote, when you have an environment like that, it just forces us to think more about what constraints should be put in place, if ever, on college athletes and it should be the bare minimum, close quote. Emmert, and I'll paraphrase this uh, portion of what he talked about, said that the NCAA's more than 1,100 member schools should consider a less homogenous approach to the way sports are governed and re-examine the current three-division structure. 
Emmert said that sports serve different functions at different schools and the NCAA needs to govern more reflectively. He said the NCAA should not shy away from the fact that a small percentage of athletes are using college sports as a path to professional sports. Emmert went on to say, and quote, we need to embrace that, he said, and with name, image, and likeness out there, we are providing other opportunities around this whole notion of using college sports as a career launching pad, close quote. So there is a lot to unpack from all of what Mark Emmert said um, last week, but I want to begin by focusing on his statement about a less homogenous approach to the way sports are being governed and the, the whole notion of reexamining the current three-division structure of the NCAA. So last year on one of the uh, Five Tool Sports podcast shows, a show about the college football playoff expansion or the potential for college football playoff expansion, uh, CJ and I discussed the idea that the NCAA should adopt a promotion relegation method uh, down the road, similar to what you see in European soccer leagues, uh, because there are so many schools whose athletic departments already operate in the negative on an annual basis. Uh, many of those schools are not on the same level as the 30 or so top football programs since we're talking about football in the country. So when you examine Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State, these three schools get a lot of the nation's top football players already. A lot of that has to do with on-field performance, uh, the coaching staff, the facilities, the size of the fan base, the size of the alumni base. Now that players are allowed to be paid, you will see even more imbalance with big money donors opening their wallets to drive top talent to their alma mater. Let's also consider the idea that a school might have to start sharing revenue with their student athletes. There are five power conferences in college football. These conferences brought in a near $3 billion in TV revenue alone in 2020. There are 65 schools in the power five group. Now, as you may or may not know, each conference has its own TV deal in place with the Big Ten boasting the highest TV revenue share among its member institutions in 2020. Each Big Ten school was scheduled to make 50 plus million dollars, according to USA Today. There are 14 Big Ten schools, three are well-known high-level name brands, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. You also have Wisconsin and you have Iowa, who I would consider two mid-level Big Ten schools in terms of brand recognition. Now let's imagine a Big Ten with only five to eight schools splitting a larger revenue share among its members. Every Power Five conference is set up in a similar way and could consolidate themselves down and potentially earn more revenue to share among a smaller number of schools. Another factor that could increase revenue share is that competition between the bigger name brand schools would increase. The on-field product would also improve as the top talent would be split among the smaller crop of top schools. So when you hear Mark Emmert say a less homogenous approach to the way sports are governed and to re-examine the current three-division structure, I read that as addition by subtraction using a promotion and relegation method. Now, in terms of the markability factor as it pertains to name, image, and likeness, when I hear Mark Emmert say, quote, and with NIL out there, we are providing other opportunities around the whole notion of using college sports as a career launching pad, unquote. Keywords, career launching pad. That is where athlete brand development and the education on how to build your brand becomes essential. Not every student athlete will be as fortunate as the guys 
at the higher level, the Trevor Lawrence's or the Justin Fields of the world who could have earned millions of dollars at the collegiate level before heading to the NFL as first round draft picks who will continue to earn even more at the NFL level. Uh, when I say build your brand with regard to a student athlete, I want student athletes to recognize their opportunity to leverage their platform regardless of level. Every school has an alumni base. Obviously, each school's fan and alumni base may vary, but there are numerous ways to take advantage of the platform regardless of level. Uh, that's what the Athlete Brand Development Initiative will set out to do. I want to build and establish an educational platform that provides accessible brand building and marketing material to all student athletes at all levels. There are going to be a lot of pop-up companies looking to take advantage of student athletes. Some of these companies will try to have you sign a contract. We are not going to be one of those brands. We only ask you to fill out a form with basic info to reach out to you via email or on social media with educational material. The ultimate goal is to eventually create a matchmaking company that does help match athletes with potential endorsement deals. The other possible opportunity is to partner with colleges and universities as an educational platform for student athletes. So you now have my theory on the future of the NCAA from an FBS football standpoint after they allowed student athletes to monetize. And you now have some info on the vision of our athlete brand development initiative. Stay tuned for more name, image, and likeness material and educational info. You can learn more by visiting the Football Scout 365 website or following us on Instagram. Just search athlete brand development. Up next is going to be our panel-based discussion regarding name, image, and likeness with Nate Parker and CJ McLaughlin from the Five Tool Sports Podcast. All right, so I'm joined today by Nate Parker, analyst with Five Tool Sports Podcast, and CJ McLaughlin, who is also an analyst with the Five Tool Sports Podcast. Yay, yay. Podcast. They are going to be the acting panel for today's name, image, and likeness discussion. And we had already started to discuss some of this stuff off air and some of their thoughts on name, image, and likeness. So we are going to start off from where CJ just left off uh, during the off air discussion in regards to name, image, and likeness. Yeah, Brandon, as I, as I was saying, I just feel like that they should have, like, it's a slippery slope. I'm all for student athletes getting paid, getting their just due. But uh, on the negative side of things, the preliminary talks should have started three or four years ago. Because now here we are, and it seems as if everything has been expedited just within the last year, year and a half that all the policies that need to be in place aren't necessarily in place. And for that reason, I think it's going it's going to be a slippery slope. It's it's going to get nasty and which look, that's how you learn. You learn from experience. So when things start to happen, then maybe these conferences, maybe the NCAA, whatever, will start changing up some rules just to, you know, guide these players a little more because if they're making money, one, we want to be fair, right? And fair doesn't always mean equal. It just means fair. But then also, these these young kids, you want to keep them out of trouble, and you want to make sure that you have the proper structure and guidance for them to, you know, use their eligibility for four years and then in the hopes of going pro. So that's where I stand. I'm all for it. But it, it's I just wish more rules uh, were in place because I am a bit fearful for the student athlete of the future. So in terms of some of the endorsement deals and the things that you've heard of recently, is there anything that strikes you 
you know, as unique or different or something that you wouldn't have expected to see in terms of how a student athlete might receive income? Um, so I, I thought it, I thought it was pretty cool that some millionaire billionaire down in Miami, um, struck a deal with, uh, the Miami football team. I think he's the owner of a gym. You were telling me and $500 per player to just market his gym, basically probably wear some gear. I mean, that's, that's, that's rent money down in Miami, $500 between you and a teammate, $1,000. That's, that's an apartment. So, I mean, I, I think that that really caught my attention. And then I want to say the day after it was passed on on social media, I saw Barstool Sports. They actually oh, yeah, started yeah. A, a like a Barstool, like college athlete. And so they're yeah. sponsoring the athletes now. I don't know what all that entails, but seems I, I seems believe they're cool. giving out free T-shirts is what I read so far. They haven't they haven't figured it we out. We need to sponsor some yet. athletes then. Well, well, you mentioned uh <laughs> You mentioned Slippery Slope, right? And that's where a company like Barstool Sports, which is actually, I believe it's Penn National, which is a gaming company, has 36% ownership stake in Barstool Sports. So their new subsidiary that they started, Barstool Athlete, is under that same umbrella. So, you know, where do we draw the line between gaming companies or the gambling industry? Where do we draw a line between them and athletes in general and being able to endorse athletes. And that's where I do actually see somewhat of a slippery slope that could begin. And and as I was saying in my previous discussion or in the monologue leading up to this, you know, one of the things to pay attention to, again, the high money donors at some of these bigger universities, the Michigans of the world or the Oklahoma State uh, situation with T. Boone Pickens, these guys are going to offer money to these players to get them to commit right. to those universities in some form or fashion. And Brandon, just to cut you off, what exactly does that mean as far as sanctions and violations, right? Because a couple of years ago, you know, oh, Bobby Jean down in Texas does that. And that's a recruiting violation. I mean, hell, you might lose 10 scholarships for the next three, four years, whatever, not be able to go to a bowl game or play in the playoff. And now since yeah. old Bobby Jean can open up that checkbook for that five-star recruit who's the best quarterback in the, in the, in the land, like, what's, what's the give and take? You see what I'm saying? Are there limitations placed on the players on what they can? Is there, like, an amount? Nope. The, it's question. wide open. It's no. It's, it's wide open. It's wide I mean, that, that, right I mean there are it's no. Change, put it this way: while they, while all of these areas, in my opinion, while all these areas are gray, the landscape, the balance of what talent goes where is going to be is going to be shaped by money. Yeah. Until there, until there's some sort of like balance on like what what players can actually receive, or how much they can actually receive, there's gonna like. You know, so, like, I'm going to hit you with this, like, Nate. The boosters don't have to hide the bag anymore. There's no, right. there's no, you just there's hit no, it there's on no the head. You were leading me into that. Or whatnot. It's, it's like, it's like, hey, guess what? We're going to pay you to do this. We think you're great. We want to sponsor you for this. Here's 50K. But check this out, Nate. I don't, I don't think it really changes the landscape that much because when you look at the top programs now, it's already about money. And, whether they're legally or illegally playing these players, when you walk into the athletic facilities, that's money. And recruits see that, right? 
if anything, in my opinion, I think it might it, it might widen the gap between your prestigious programs and your non-prestigious programs, but it might actually close the gap between, you know, your Alabamas and your Texases and your Michigans and your USC's. You see what I'm saying? Like, it may actually close that gap. And all of those programs that I just named are all on par with one another as far as funding, uh, prestige. But the difference is, is Alabama... Clemson are developing players at a better rate than some of these other schools. But guess what? If you can just drop the bag on whoever you want to, then I think it may, at at least at the top, I think we may see more parity. We'll see though, because yeah. it's all about going to the NFL. And right now, Alabama is creme de la creme because they send the most guys to the NFL, and that's where guys want to go. I think it. I think it'll be interesting to see um, specifically with like some of the schools that have never had or have never even been rumored of having um, like recruitment violations. Like now, now it's open season for boosters and, and people and in small business owners that are fans of the team Um, specifically, like uh, I was honestly, I wasn't even thinking football. I was thinking like Michigan state basketball, Michigan state basketballs. And I know big 10 Michigan state fan, whatever, but like Izzo's never been accused of any recruiting violations or passing out bags or stuff like that. None of that matters now. I mean, you can. So it doesn't matter. Now, now it's going to be like, well, I'm going to send you some articles. I mean, look, I like Michigan State. No, there, I like Tom Izzo, Nate. Like, you don't coach You don't coach for 25 years at, in, 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 in a program like that without getting some mud slung. I, I want to hit on what CJ just That's said. You, you just said that, you know, the Clemsons and the Alabamas of the world, how they have the advantage already. What's interesting is in the monologue, my previous monologue where I stated – you know, the consolidation of college football could come down to the top 30 or 40 programs who are number one, the ones who are able to connect themselves with the best talent. And they're able to do it easily because they can provide more endorsement money or they have the financial uh, means to back pulling in as many five-star recruits as they possibly can. In addition to the fact that they already send guys to the NFL, which is another benefit, plus the size of the alumni base and the fan base, those types of things, you have to account for those. So, again, like I said, the Purdue's of the world, the MAC conference, the Mid-American conference of the world, those schools, they don't really stand that much of a competitive chance in this particular landscape. And when you pair a top-notch athlete with a top brand like Alabama – Michigan, Ohio State, Clemson, any of the top names out there in college football, what you're doing is you're creating the best scenario for that top athlete to be in financially. So they're going to basically, they're going to be able to connect with those alumni. They're going to be able to connect with that fan base. They're going to grow their social media uh, following in the hundreds of thousands to the million millions range, if possible, by being in that particular program. So Like I said, my viewpoint is you're going to have the haves, the have-nots of college football. And again, a relegation system makes sense, similar to some of the European soccer leagues out there where, you know, maybe you drop, there's what, 100 plus schools whose athletic departments operate in the negative on an annual basis. So you drop them, you relegate them down into another division and let some of those schools try to work themselves back into that top level if they can. 
and then you keep the top 30 or 40. And if one of the one or two of those schools falls below a certain threshold, drop them out, move another one up. That type yep. of system makes sense. Yeah. And, and you took the words right out of my mouth because I was actually going to refer to European soccer and just the way they relegate teams, but then also the way they develop their their younger players. Because now that college sports has now been monetized, we can't necessarily say student-athlete anymore. Now right. the athlete comes, you know, before the student in a sense. And it has for a long I time mean, in most circumstances. Right, right. And <laughs> so, I mean... I would like to see these players be developed and when they're seniors in high school, right? You have your seniors that are five-star recruits. You have your seniors that are four and three-star recruits, your two-star recruits that go to, you know, get your Mac schools and your Sunbelt schools and Conference USA schools. And then you have your one-stars and then you have the kids that aren't quote-unquote good enough to play D1, that play D2 play Division Three. It's so many programs out here, right? I would love to see not only a relegation system, as you talked about, but if we're, if, if we're going to tier it, we can tier the schools by money and regional location, right? And then you could have other schools be feeder schools or sister schools. So, for example, okay, you have Clemson. Clemson is in South Carolina, one of the better programs in the entire nation. And then you have Coastal Carolina, who just went FBS, okay? Now, obviously, the kids that play at Coastal Carolina play there for a reason, because they weren't good enough to play at Clemson. Doesn't mean they will never be good enough to play at Clemson. So just in terms of if it's, if it's, if it's monetized, I would like to see, like, the loaning of players, all right? Or the, the transition of players from maybe a lower-tier school to a upper tier school in that same state or regional location if they have the chance, right? Because this is all about chances. This is all about opportunity. So we can't just do it with a dollar. We have to do it all the way around. And just to add to what you finished with, um, Brandon, before I started talking, the biggest losers here, in my opinion, is Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State because they they had cracked the code. They had found the key to, to whatever players, turn they Some players found some keys. <laughs> whether it's a McDonald's or... bag, a key to the <laughs> safe, whatever. But Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama, they cracked the code. And that's why they've been so good the last decade. And now I think, again, we're going to see more parity within the top 10, 15 programs in the nation now because of this, this whole NIL thing. No, yeah. I, I believe that. I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, CJ, that's an interesting concept that you brought up, though, as far as, like, feeder schools, like, minor major leagues. It, it like, removing, giving players or giving, like, schools the choice to affiliate with each other, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it comes to mind. Because right? it'd be hard to, like, it'd be hard just to be like, oh, yeah, uh, so-and-so from Michigan State, they're, Ohio State's just going to pull them up from the same conference, right? So, like having like feet like having like affiliated schools where like hey we're not gonna offer you a scholar you're not gonna end up playing time here but if you go to this school like you sh- you ball out we'll pull you up no problem 
Exactly. Um, I like I like I like, like that a farm a lot. system. Like and the and and they and the reason for that is because all the programs out here aren't going to be able to pay big money yeah. to these to these student athletes, right? But so it might be fifty schools. Like I, we can't give you right. money. We don't have the boosters to give you money. But we could give you a full ride right now. No, no questions asked. Exactly. And guess what, little Johnny? Not only will we give you a scholarship, but we're also affiliated with University of Texas. And if you do well here at Texas State, mm-hmm. they're gonna pull you up. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or it like puts it the onus of of creating those systems on the schools. Like, granted, they then the schools now have to campaign with the NCAA to, like, waive the transfer protocol. Like, there's no transfer portal between schools that are cho- that have chosen to be affiliated. They don't have they don't play each other. Exactly. So there's no conflict of interest. Um, but like having having that in place, I think, changes the landscape of college football for the better. Yeah. Yeah. This yep. this goes back again to what Mark Emmer just said this past week. Uh, where he said, you know, we have to begin to reimagine uh, how we view collegiate athletics, essentially. And what he was saying is we can no longer, you know, look at a student athlete who plays field hockey or field hockey in general as a sport and then try to compare it to football, right? We have to reimagine our views of each division each sport and we have to recognize that there are true differences right and what he's actually getting at when he says something like that is once again the revenue sharing that already goes on on campuses currently right now without football and basketball at the d1 level at ohio state you're not going to have as many of the olympic sports or you're not going to have all the beautiful facilities that you have on campus for every sports team on campus right all these non-revenue generating sports are now going to have to reimagine themselves. Are they going to have to go back to being just club sports? Are they going to be in conferences and divisions still? How many of those sports are going to get cut off? You know, both on the men's side and the women's side, there's a lot of opportunities being lost at the same time that have to be looked at, reimagined. How are they going to fundraise for those sports? How is that going to change? Does the NCAA, like it's, again, it's a slippery slope. It's, It's a lot of loose screws in this. Do... Do they find themselves against a lot of lawsuits? Oh like yeah, they, since forever. Like Many, does Reggie Bush? Do they put him back in the history books? Should they? Yeah, you should. I, I you think, think that you. you how put about the SMU back in Chrysler Arena for the Fab Five that they took down? Put them yeah. back. What about Raise the Pony Express? Yeah, why not? Not, but oh here's God, the here's the argument against that that people are gonna have. Right. The rules were the rules back then. So, yeah, we're not changing any of that. Right. There's people who believe that's me personally. I'm like, I'm a rules, rules guy. right. I feel somewhat in that realm. Like, uh, where did do, where does it stop? Where where is the NCAA and collegiate sports going to be protected in, in any kind of lawsuits from the past that could pop up? Right. You know, are we going to are people going to come forward now and say, wait, where's my fair share when my market value was in the millions of dollars in 2000? Right. Like yeah. Reggie Bush comes forward and says, you know what? I'm going to sue the NCAA for what my value would well, have been back then. The, the issue the issue is the issue is the explosion of social media is fairly recent. And a lot of this value come a lot of this a lot of this like big dollar value comes with 
social media exposure and the right. use of social media. So like Reggie Bush, be it locally and nationally, did have value as a as a national face because he was recognizable. There was no social media back then. But there is a measurable way. There's a company called Open Doors, right? They're a marketing firm for mm -hmm. athletes in general. So they have data for professional leagues already in their system to where they're Correct. able to put a value, not the issue, just the issue. The issue that I have with something like that is that it is it is very like because social media didn't exist, like you're cutting that value. You're like any number they come up with. Like in my mind, like you got to take 20% of that number. No, no, no. And, and let's just subtract the whole social media side of it and just look at it from endorsement, the endorsement perspective. Oh, okay. Where, right. where if Stephen Ross at the University of Michigan back in 1997 wanted to pay Charles Woodson X amount of money just because he's Charles Woodson, he could have done that. How much is that valued? How many of those opportunities were missed? Those types of things come come into play. Now, I don't know the legalities of going back in the past and doing that, but we already know that it is possible something like that could come to fruition. I mean, you see people talking about Reggie Bush right now. Give him his Heisman back, right? Give him this, give him that. Yeah. How far back are we going to be able to reach? Yeah, I, look, Brandon, I, I'm, a, I'm a rules of the rules kind of guy too. Obviously, <laughs> with this, this is a slippery slope, as I've alluded to. Like... I, it's it's just it's such a gray area and out of, gray areas aren't a good thing gray areas is when uh you, you begin to have morality issues and that's the last thing that you want when you when you're dealing with kids between 18 and 22 and then the last thing i want to say is we're talking about you know all the ifs ands buts college basketball has to get a pa there has to be a college football pa all these, yeah. it has to, ha it has to be just like in all your pro sports, you got your NHL PA, your MLB PA, NBA, like it has to be something like that. The players 100%. have to have a voice. There's they have to speak for themselves. And I think a lot of the questions that we bring, um, it'll, it'll be answered if, if, if there's a PA, if there's a, a legit entity that can present uh, you know, just certain avenues, certain likes, dislikes, or ideas to whoever the top dog is, whether it's Mark so, so for the NCAA or whatever. So, I yeah. mean, I, I I don't disagree with having a blanket players a players player of all of the athletes in the NCAA having representation. The yeah, issue with having wrong. a PA is that. If you don't, put it, the players association on, on for both the NBA and the NFL is essentially a a union. So if you're not putting into the union from your checks that you're getting from your from your representation, you are not a part of the union, right. and you will not be represented by the union. So all of the players at the I bottom of the roster would not be able to be represented based based on that current formatting. If you had, however, uh. It's going honestly. What's probably going to happen in my mind right now? <clears throat> colleges are going to need to provide representation for any student athlete. Uh, is like they will have like not necessarily like an in-house counsel, but like an in-house consultant or agent at each university if a player doesn't have representation for himself. Every university has kind of well, the major universities right now have already started 
implementing marketing uh, representation within. Uh, so they're building up their and they're basically creating an independent department just for name, image, and likeness education for student athletes. I believe North Carolina was at the forefront of that. They hired a former Adidas exec- executive a couple months ago that actually has a has a system. Um, a marketing education system that he's going to use to basically educate every athlete on campus from every sport. And he's going to have a department. So like, you're going to see that that's just going to take over the country. And I also want to point out to touch on what you were saying about athlete representation. You guys remember Kane Coulter, Northwestern uh, back in 2014, he uh, started the movement for player representation. He the reason we don't have NCAA football no, oh, no, 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 no. That's Ed O'Bannon. Ed O'Bannon. Oh, okay. Was one, yeah. So this okay. is these are the leading. <laughs> these are like My the bad. leading factors. But Kane Coulter was. She's like she's factor. like f that guy. I know he's, he's not. He's off that. my Christmas card list forever. Straight up. I know. Even even uh, former and current athletes to this day are like, man, we don't really care if they use our likeness in a video game. Just bring it back. But at the same time, Ed O'Bannon was the uh, I think that was like 2011 that that kind of started. Then it ended and was ruled on in 2014. Um, but that was all uh, that was basically name, image and likeness where they were using the player's image, you know, na- not their name, but their number and sort of their likeness in those video games. Like you knew who Denard Robinson was in the video game, right? When you were playing it, you knew it was number yeah. 16, QB 16 for the University of Michigan. And right? Then, you already knew. And then when you go to the edit roster and you see a black guy with dreads, he like... <laughs> Like, yep, there he is. That's because you can him. edit, you can edit them and you can add, you can add their name to the game. I mean, obviously yeah. being able to edit things and do that, I don't know how much of an effect that had, but just the likeness in general and using the numbers. I do want to throw out there, um, the university of Michigan. I don't know if they're the first ones to do it, but I just heard about this a few days ago. They're allowing players to, or they're allowing the M den, which is the official university store to put player names on the jerseys and they the players have representation um, from a separate company that worked out a deal with the mden for every jersey sold with their name on it uh, that player will receive ten dollars which is actually they said a, a hair above a lot of nfl players and what they receive for jersey sales in addition to that so you're going to see that start to take shape so that's another argument that even the fab five had back in the day uh, when they were complaining about seeing their jersey numbers all over campus and yeah. not really you know, not being able to afford to have money to eat, go out, have a good time Legally. like some of the other college kids. Yeah. And through some of the research that I've done recently, I mean, what's crazy to me is student athletes who put in roughly 40 hours a week. We know they're putting in more time than that, right? When yeah. no one's looking, right? They're, they're working yeah. hard behind the scenes and you don't even know it, but they're putting in all that time. They're not considered employees, right? And that's really where uh, this Supreme Court decision, or at least that's what led the Supreme Court to make their final decision on name, image, and likeness is these guys are out there, they're, they're putting in all this effort, they're putting in all this work, they're not being compensated fairly. Meanwhile, the, the average student on campus is allowed to be involved in work study programs that they are considered employees of the university. And some of these same students are partaking in activities like at football games, for example, they're either working a concession stand or they're working in some capacity 
at a football game that is driven by the student athlete on the field who is not even considered an employee in the first place. So who are you going to see? You're going to see the student athlete on the field who's not considered an, an employee. Meanwhile, the guy working the concession stand is considered a university employee. You know, it, it kind of sounds like it sounds like a zoo. I mean, think <laughs> about it. The 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 little lady, a, a man behind the concessions is getting paid minimum wage to be there. But the chimpanzees, the monkeys, the elephants, the lions, tigers, and bears, they're just Everybody there comes to see for the, the show. Come see us. Yeah. yeah and you're that's paying the way the NCAA has been. $100 a ticket. Yeah. It's insane. Man. This yeah, is so, the last this last little bit of racism. Needless to say, slush, I think man. we're all excited to see how this how this change affects college sports. And being being a podcast that is players first and for the players, we're excited to see how this turns out. It is. And I know Woody's excited, too, because it's going to be a lot. Look, man, you're giving 20-year-old kids a lot of money. It's going to be a lot of stories to run with. It's going to be good. Oh, so yeah, I know I know Woody's going to enjoy that part. 18 to 22-year-old you know, kids who have access to this kind of money, it's going to be insane. Hey, so. you know how Dude, to if anyone, if anyone deserves to tr- sue the NCAA for this, Trevor Lawrence. Oh, and Justin Fields. Problems. And Justin Fields, man. Both of which were the projected highest. They would have made the most money last year of any oh, yeah. college football player. Like, like about putting million open doors. Like something yeah. dumb. But you know what? Like you got to – I think the highest paid player of the last decade would have probably been Johnny Manziel. Like Johnny Manziel that, had a hell of a following. I, I think there is I mean, some data that on that. Tim Tebow. Oh, yeah. Well, sure. I, in the last decade, Tim Tebow. <laughs> was, Tim Tebow outside was, the last decade already? Are we that old? How bro, many Manziel we, we and old. how many Manziel and Tebow jerseys would have been out there that they could oh, have been man. collecting ten dollars? Oh man! If you think of the socioeconomic impact, right? The, the the underprivileged, so to speak, who end up in these on these campuses playing football, not considered employees, not able to make any money. They're coming from these backgrounds that are just so hindered, but yet they're not. Uh, able to monetize when they have the opportunity, right. the life-changing money that some of these kids in the past, when we look at the past, some of these guys who missed out on hundreds of thousands to even a million or $2 million yeah. or more, that's life-changing for the, the rest of their lives. If they, if they, if they get that money, they have access to that money. They're able to get their family out of that situation in the moment rather yeah. than, well, maybe you'll go pro considering, you know, less than 2% or whatever, even go pro to begin with. Right. So, <laughs> but, but, it, but it's, it's providing a chance, right? And yeah. that's, that's, that's kind of the biggest thing. That's, and look, yeah, this is an unpopular opinion. Uh, but I'm gonna say it anyways, if, the sport of football was 75-80% white. The the players, NCAA, would have been paying players. If 75-80% of college basketball players and NBA players were white, it wouldn't be a one-and-done rule. If they, were, if, if they were sending white men to the league at an insane rate, it wouldn't be a one-and-done rule. It's indentured servitude. $10 million coaches. Yeah, you know, and while, they can leave the whenever they want to, but the players got to go to the transfer portal and wait. 
you know, the coach that recruited me decided to transfer to, to, to leave the next year. I mean, it's 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 so bad. And the biggest reason that I want uh, just a player association or some entity just to help with the players is because if I was a player, I wouldn't trust any system that was not within my own program. So as you said, Brandon, what North Carolina doing, kind of getting ahead of the curve, hiring the guy from Adidas, that's awesome. If I was a UNC football player, I would trust that guy. But if the NCAA and Mark Emmert hired a guy like that, <laughs> I don't think I would trust that guy. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. So, um, it, it's, it's, I'm glad North Carolina is doing what they're doing. Yeah, and a lot of these schools, that's what it's going to take. Only a certain level of guys are going to be making a ton of money. You're going to need to educate the lower level athletes on campus on what it's going to take to build a social media platform and utilize the alumni base in some way. Because you're there's guys out there like Chris Evans. I keep you know relating to Michigan, right? But Chris Evans had like 30,000 followers on social media, but yet he posted, I don't know, a handful of times total. Yeah. You can leverage 30,000 followers, right? I mean, yeah. how which one of us has 30,000 followers from our platform? We don't have 30,000. We don't even have 30,000 followers. That would be great. We have 15-ish. That's right. You do on an account yeah. that got hacked. Do you even have access to that thing? Because you need to switch some of those followers. How many of those happen. followers did you buy? <laughs> it doesn't matter. If they're real, there's a way so to measure I mean, that. I mean, you, you want to know what excites and, – and this is not going to – this won't – tickle anyone's oh, fancy but i'm i'm excited no, to I'm see what happens with like swimming and water polo those those college sports um i'm i'm, I'm interested to see what happens with those because a no, lot Nate, of uh, i want you to give give me a perspective on that if i mean you have a perspective the, the biggest thing is it's going to open up it's going to open up it's it's either going to open up opportunities for universities to create varsity programs where there wasn't one, it was just a club sport, or it's going to shut down both 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 sides of the program, right? So, I it it all depends. It literally it's not cheap to maintain that pool. Mm-hmm. Hey, but I tell you, it is. <laughs> Ask the swimmers' parents for money because they got it. Because most college swimmers are suburban kids, anyways. That's another thing too. There are donors out there that will fund some of these sports. I'm joking. I mean, I'm not joking, but I'm joking. I mean, CJ, see, like, there, there is something to be said, uh, definitely, about about the statement CJ made. Um, I, I didn't, I, I didn't have a, I didn't have an upbringing where my parents could have paid for me to go to a Big Ten school, specifically like Michigan or Michigan State, if I didn't get a scholarship for something like that. Um, but I mean, I know there's a lot of a lot of parents for some of the, my friends that could have walked on in particular cases. And they would have been fine. Yeah. Nice. Well, you know, you heard about last year about all the celebrities who was paying big money to get their kids in the, <laughs> in, so in the USC and stuff. Fake you know, athletes. Well, USC and then the the There's a documentary on, on that, by the way. Rowing team? I know. I've seen it. Get out yeah. of here. Crazy. Like, you, like haven't, you haven't you haven't rowed a boat a day in your life. Get out of you, here. You know you know how many fans and people are paying attention to certain sports, right? That you know you can get your kid into a sport. I think she by just making a fake profile. You know, a recruit a fake recruiting profile essentially to get them. Crazy man, crazy. Yeah. All right. Well. That'll do it for this uh, name, image, and likeness discussion. I, I think we're gonna do another one. 
kind of, I don't know if we'll do it in a week, two weeks or whatever, just kind of follow up on some of the new stuff that pops up. Also, don't forget to check out the five tool sports podcast. We put a lot of work into that. It does. We don't, we do more uh, mainstream conversation, NFL related topics. We're mostly a, a football related show. I know it began as like a basketball. Hopefully we're going to do some basketball. Yeah, we love football too much over here though. We talk way too much football and it just kind of turned into that. So we got a baseball related name, five tool sports podcast, but yeah, we talk about football all day long. So we make about as much sense as the NCAA, right? Yeah. But at the same time, uh, we're going to try to continue these conversations, touch on these things a bit um, down the road. And obviously, I'm working on athlete brand development over at Football Scout 365. It's a new division of Football Scout 365. And I'm trying to build some marketing tools, trying to come up with something I know myself and CJ uh, McLaughlin, we've talked about um, the potential of building something for marketing purposes for student athletes or athletes of any kind, for that matter, we don't want to kind of pigeonhole ourselves into one thing. Um, and I know I'm going to be talking to a basketball player and I'm representing a football related site, but that's not the point. The point is being able to build something to help them build their brand educational. I'm starting off with a lot of educational material right now to kind of uh, test the market and see what opportunities are out there. But again, going to do some podcast interviews and things of that nature. So again, thank you, uh, Nate and CJ for your time today. And hopefully we can get Woody on for the next discussion about name, image, and likeness or other opportunities in that realm. So check us out, check us out, hit that subscribe button, subscribe to our podcast, subscribe to Football Scout 365. We put a lot of work in, as you can see, we do not play. We're here every week, bring you content. We're digging deep. Brandon, as, his, as he just alluded to, he puts in so much hard work. Our producer extraordinary, Nate, puts in so much hard work. Hit that subscribe button for us and follow us through our journey. We're approaching our almost our one year anniversary and the NFL football season, college football season is right around the corner. So hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button on Instagram and come rock with us all football season.